Well, good morning once again. Um, if you prayed, I forgot to mention this earlier, but if you, uh, uh, as you were filling this out, if, if you prayed at communion time and you said yes to Jesus and, and you want to, to starting a life with him, um, mark it on this card. Uh, we're not going to bring everybody up front, but mark it on the card. Tell somebody that you came with. Let somebody know so that somebody can celebrate with you because that's really, really important to us. Um, this morning, uh, if you'll look also, you'll see a white sheet of paper instead of an outline. Uh, with all that's been going on the last couple of weeks, I was not able to get the outline uh, to the office in time to get things printed up. So you're on your own as far as uh, writing down your notes. Hopefully you'll be able to write more legibly than I can, because whenever I look at my notes afterwards, um, yeah, I cannot read. My dad should have been a doctor, uh, because you can't read his writing, and I take after him. So um, I should have been the doctor. But anyway, hopefully you can write legibly and get something out of that. Well, you know, welcome to the new year. Can you believe it's 2020? I mean, seriously, can you believe it's 2020? I was at a store the other day, and um, they were having problems with their computer. They were having problems there with their computer at the register, the checkout station, and, and I made the comment and kind of laughed. I said, you know, if this was 20 years ago, you could blame it all on Y2K. Um, I want to ask you, though, how many remember Y2K? How many old enough to remember Y2K? And know what it was. Um, <laughs> if you were around at all at that time, you certainly know what it was all about. On New Year's Eve, at the stroke of midnight going into the year 2000, all the computers were supposed to shut down, all the power grids were supposed to go down. Cars were supposed to were expected to no longer start. Basically, anything that used a computer in any way was supposed to no longer work because the internal clock wasn't programmed to go past 1999. See, when they programmed these things in the 70s and they write the, wrote the code in the 70s and, and, and this, things were computers were coded so that um, like the, they, they would just use the last two digits of the year. So 1999 would be coded as 99. And, you know, uh, uh, the fear was that when the year turned and the clocks turned to the year 2000, computer would read it as double zero and think that double zero meant 1900 and everything would go haywire and everything would shut down. And we joke about it now, but 20 years ago, it was a huge deal, seriously. Literally millions of dollars were spent trying to address the problem. There were big, thick congressional reports that were written on, on how to deal with the, 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 the problem and what a solution might be. People began to stockpile water, food, emergency supplies, gen buying generators were selling out at stores. People were, were cashing in their IRAs. I mean, it was crazy. It was literally that crazy. And here we are 20 years later, and we survived. We survived it. None of that happened. Today, we can laugh about it, and don't worry. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for anybody who fell for all the hype and started stockpiling stuff and that. 
But I do believe that we still have a small generator out in the garage that was donated after Y2K. <laughs> so is that is it still out there, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. That came from Y2K, a uh, certain member, former member, uh, they've since moved, uh, donated it afterwards, along with some other nice, useful things. So, But as I think about all the frenzy that surrounded that whole time, and everybody was talking about it, I mean, it's all over the news every day, you could not escape it. I think of how so many people were gripped with fear that was put into them. And there was so much emphasis put on stockpiling this, you know, pile up the food, get your emergency supplies, you know, pile, you know, save the water and all of that because people were afraid that they wouldn't have enough for themselves once Y2K hit. Um, and then on the other hand, though, there were churches that would, were turning it around and seeing it as a unique opportunity to position themselves to help others. And I, mer I remember talking about that, saying, you know, if anything is going to happen, let's have the church ready and able in a position to be able to then be a place where people can come and get help. You know, instead of stockpiling and, and hoarding things ourselves, let's be a place where, where people can come and we can offer the help to others, just in case anything cataclysmic, as, as had been expected, was in fact to happen, ha happen. So there were two mindsets that we had in play here. One was a very self-focused, self-centered, all about me, take care of me first kind of a thing. I'm going to make sure that I have enough, my family has enough, we're going to hunker down. We're going to, you know, move out in the country. And, you know, people sold their houses and moved out in the country to, like, be survivalists and that. I'm going to make sure I'm taking care of them. The other was the opposite. The other mindset was the opposite of that. It was, it was uh, selfless. It was other-centered. It was other-focused. Um, and uh, 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 we live in a very self-centered culture. I mean, I, I was reading, I, was, I, I checked Facebook quickly this morning uh, before church, and I saw a blog by Carrie Newhoff, the, the curse of the selfie generation, three cultural shifts happening before our very eyes. And it was all about how our, our culture is more and more becoming cent centered on self, focused on self. But as we read the New Testament, it becomes very clear that as believers, that's not how we're called to live. Our lives are not about ourselves. Instead of asking, you know, what can others do for me? Believers are to ask, what can I do for others? What can I do to help those that are, that are struggling? What can I help do to help those who are fearful, who are hurting? What can I do to help those around me that, 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 uh, are, are, that are needing help? And instead of, you know, what can the church do for me? It's like, no, what can I do for the church? How can I advance the kingdom of God? How can I advance the mission of the church? What can I do? How can I serve? You know, in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. When we surrender our lives to Christ and we begin to follow him, there are so many blessings, so many benefits, so many things that we gain from that. But here's the thing. It's not about us anymore. 
we have so much that we receive, the, the blessings of God and the presence of God and, and, the, and, and all these things, but it's not about us anymore. See, previously we lived our lives for ourselves. Everything was about us. But as a believer, it's no longer about us. It's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus wants. It's about what Jesus says. That's what matters. Life as a believer is a life of denying self and following Christ. Now, by that, I'm not saying that we have to live in misery and we can't enjoy anything in life. and that It's not that at all. It's just saying, who is going to come first? Who is going to come first in our lives? Is, is our life going to be more about making ourselves comfortable and doing the things that we want and asking God to bless the things that we want and the things that we're doing? Or is it going to be just saying, okay, God, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to do? And just simply living for him. It's not about us. It's all about him. And that's true for every area of our lives. And see, that, that's what a disciple is. That's what it means to be a disciple, one who lives like Jesus, one who follows him and follows his example, lives like him. So today I want to start a new series to counter the influence of our culture to help encourage us to live selfless lives. And the first thing I want to talk about is being bold. We've talked about being bold recently. We did, we did a whole series on this, but I want to talk today specifically about being bold in our witness. Christians are increasingly being told to keep our faith to ourselves. It's a private thing. It's just between you and God. You, you're not supposed to share it. You're not supposed to make it public. It's just between you, you and God. It's, it's, it's private. It doesn't belong in the workplace. It doesn't belong anywhere in the public se sector. You've got to have the separation of church and state, which, by the way, is not in our Constitution. Um, um, you know, it's, it's, it just keep it to yourself. Several years back, I went to visit somebody in a convalescent home. It was a woman who had recently uh, uh had had just recently started coming to the church and after coming for a, a a short time she ended up in the in the convalescent home and you know she was elderly and had health problems and i visited several times and you know we'd, we'd go and see her and and talk to her in the course of our visits we'd you know we talked a lot and i shared the gospel and and shared about jesus and she put her faith in christ I visited several more times. We had more conversations. I remember taking her a uh, boombox. Remember those? Before we had, you know, music on our phones, we had boomboxes. I took one in there, and with some, some worship and praise music and that she could listen to. And then one day I stopped in, and her room was empty. So I'm looking around, nothing in the room. You know, the bed's freshly made. She wasn't around, and... I asked a nurse and was told that she had passed away the day before. She said, didn't, didn't you see the obituary this morning? I said, no, I haven't read the paper yet. <laughs> and she said, well, she passed away yesterday. And I talked further, and the nurse was asking, now, were you related to her or, or what? I said, well, no, I was her pastor. And as we continued to talk, I mentioned um, that she had recently become a believer. And when I said that, this sense of relief came over her face, and she just like, Oh, thank you so much for telling me that. 
I have to share with the other nurses because there's a group of nurses there that were believers and they were praying for her. They were praying for her and, and uh, 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 but she said that they, uh, uh, they were not allowed to talk to her about God or they would lose their jobs. They were believers, but they were, they were told, you cannot share your faith, you cannot talk about God, you can't go there, or you could lose your job. And so she was relieved when I told her that the, the, the woman died with faith in Christ. Um, um, and I tell that story to say this, more and more frequently, believers are being told to keep quiet about our faith. But that's in direct contrast to Jesus' command to go and be witnesses and to make disciples. So who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the pressures of our culture or are we going to listen to Jesus? Obviously, what Jesus says has to take precedence. And we need a boldness to be able to do that. If we're going to push back against our culture, we need to be open and vocal in our witness. We need to be bold. And boldness is not something that necessarily comes naturally. It comes from God. Look at the apostles. After Jesus was crucified, the disciples went from being disillusioned, fearful, and in hiding to openly and boldly announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God and proclaiming salvation in the name of Jesus and only in the name of Jesus. On John 2019. 19... On the day of the resurrection, it says that the, the, uh, uh, the gospel tells us that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. That's when the picture began to change. When Jesus appeared to them, when they saw him and he spoke peace to them, I mean, they had watched him crucified. They had, you know, he was buried in the tomb, and then <clears throat> suddenly he's standing there before them. They had heard some things earlier in the day that, you know, hey, we went to the tomb and he's alive, and it's like, it was all so unbelievable. But now he was actually standing there before him saying peace. They went from a cowering, fearful, disillusioned band of people to faith-filled disciples that were ready to follow Jesus anywhere. And a short while later, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We see them step out in tremendous boldness. In Acts chapter 4, uh, uh, Peter is dragged before the, 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 the hostile Jewish leaders. He's dragged before them. He's interrogated says, starting in verse 8 of Acts 4, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? So, you see, because this follows them, you know, going in and, and they healed a crippled man. Peter and John, they, they had healed a crippled man in the name of Jesus, and that's why they're being interrogated. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. He's speaking with confidence. He's speaking with boldness. And what he said wasn't popular, and he knew it wouldn't be. He knew it wouldn't be. But he was unwavering in what he said. 
He wasn't being argumentative. He wasn't being arrogant. He wasn't being insulting. He was just saying, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel. In other words, let there be no mistake about what I'm saying. This is the way it went down. Just to be clear about this, he wasn't going to be intimidated. The woman at the convalescent center that I spoke about earlier, <laughs> I was asked to do her funeral. I was the only pastor any I, I, I was the only pastor that, that, that anybody in the family knew. Um, family was all over the place spiritually, and uh, most were unbelievers. Her, her, her brother was a Buddhist, and I was told last minute that he was going to speak as well. Um, and, you know, when I preach a funeral, I always talk about Jesus, and I always come from a perspective of faith. Um, I'm not arrogant, you know, I'm not argumentative, uh, but I share with confidence because I know that our hope is in Christ, I know it's true, and I know He is our only hope, and I believe the Scripture when it tells us that Jesus is the only way to the Father. I, uh, and And... I could tell that this woman's brother did not like anything I said. I was being speaking humility with gentleness, but I was convinced of what I was saying. And he did not like one word that I was saying. It, and when he stood up to speak, it became obvious because of the things that he said. But I was sharing at a funeral of a woman who had recently come to faith in Christ. I was sharing the truth in a loving way, in a respectful way, and as she wanted me to. I had to. I had to. I wasn't going to change it just because of her Buddhist brother or others that were unbelievers. It wasn't in an in-your-face manner. I'm not like that. I do not like confrontation. I'm a peacemaker. I do not like confrontation. I don't like to be confrontational. I think it's counterproductive to, to you know, get into arguments with people. I just said, this is the way it is. You know, we said several weeks back that we speak boldly about what we believe deeply. If we're unsure about something, we're not going to be bold about it. We're not. We're, we're going. We're going to be tentative. But God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a power, of love, and a sound mind. Self-discipline. Peter was bold. Listen to what else he said in Acts four, four verses twelve and thirteen. Verse twelve says, "There's salvation in no one else." He's telling Jewish leaders this. This Jesus guy, he's the way that this, this crippled man was healed. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now that is certainly is not politically correct thing to say. And that gets a lot of pushback today, but it needs to be said. Otherwise, we're not being honest. Jesus said it. Peter said it. There's no getting around it. We must speak the truth. We must speak it in love, speak it in humility, and we look for the open doors. We look for the right opportunities. We don't just go barging in and, and you know, 
where 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 there, there's there's no where the Holy Spirit hasn't prepared ground. Don't just go barging in and, and and you know be obnoxious. But at the same time, we can't avoid truth because it might offend somebody. We live in a culture of offense. Everybody gets offended at something. They shared with boldness. Then verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they could, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I look at that and I say, I want that kind of boldness. I want to be that kind of person. So the question becomes, how do we grow in boldness? Simple. First thing we do is we spend more time with Jesus. It's the first thing we do. We talk about that a lot. We talk about spending time with Jesus. We talk about time, you know, our devotional time and time in the Word. We talk about that a lot because it's so essential to our life in Christ. It's as essential as, as food and water is to our physical survival. Our spiritual survival depends on, on just being able to spend time with Jesus. We just read in Acts you know, 4.13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could, not, or they, they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. And they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The difference was not a degree in theology. The difference was not going to Bible school. It was time with Jesus. You know, sometimes when we look at the apostles, we tend to forget they were ordinary people just like you and just like me. The difference was the time they spent with Jesus. The more time we spend with Jesus, the closer we become to him, and the more we'll begin to see boldness increase in our lives. If you wish you had more boldness, to share your faith with your friends, your family, your neighbors in a natural way, a relational way, draw closer to Jesus. Spend more time with Him. won't happen overnight, but you'll begin to see your confidence and your boldness begin to grow. And one reason is because the more time that we spend with Jesus, the more we'll begin to see and understand what He's doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And the more we'll be able to align ourselves with what God is doing and come under His agenda. I love Psalm 86, 86 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That's been my prayer for years. Teach me your way, Lord that I could walk in your truth. Give me an uninvited heart. It's been my prayer for years. So spend more time with Jesus. Second thing, ask. Ask God to make you more bold. Not asking him to change your personality, not asking him to make you somebody you're not, but just asking me, Lord, let me be bold for you, bold in my witness. Acts 4.29 and now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. When you pray, Lord, fill me with boldness so I can share your love with people who matter to you. 
he'll answer it. When you ask, be ready for him to answer. Be ready and watch for him to bring opportunities, to bring open doors. And when they come, step out in faith in a natural way, in a respectful way, in a relational way, not argumentative. Nobody has ever been argued into the kingdom of God. But with confidence and with boldness. Nobody's ever been argued into the kingdom of God, but many have been ushered into a relationship with Christ through selfless love and bold witness. Let's have the worship team come back up. And I want to just add one point on this. Nobody has ever in the history of social media won an argument on Facebook. Nobody. I've tried, I tried to avoid it, but I've got sucked into it about twice. And I thought, why? And Lisa tells me, don't respond. Do I listen to my wife? I should, but I don't. But, I, but somebody has to say, that's not the boldness I'm talking about, okay? It doesn't work. I'm just talking about being natural and not being afraid to say or not being intimidated. You know, to stand up and, and say, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I, I believe in Jesus, and I think he can help you with your situation. Can we pray? That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Let's pray. Lord, in this new year, I pray that we would learn to become less about ourselves and more about you and more about others. Lord, help us to shift the focus off of ourselves, away from ourselves, and onto you and the people that you're bringing into our lives. Fill us with boldness and give us opportunities to share our faith with others in natural, relational ways. Deliver us from our arguing. And lead us to people whose hearts you are preparing. Lord, we ask that you would show us one person, bring one person across our path this week, that whose heart you are preparing, and give us that open door, and when we're standing in front of it, give us the boldness and the confidence to be able to step through it in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are going to, as we close out the service, we're going to uh, receive the, the tithes and the offerings. Uh, as the ushers come, you can go ahead, if, if you have that, go ahead and put it in the bag. Or if you prefer to give uh, electronically, we have, uh, just go to our website, bloomingtonvineyard.com. Look for the icon in the lower right corner, click on that. 
and it'll walk you through the steps and, and how to do that. It's very, very simple. Uh, so um, we are uh, also, the, your, your cards, your green cards that you filled out earlier, when the bags come, come your way, just go ahead and place this in the bag and we will make sure that it gets to the uh, proper place. If you are here for the first time today, uh, you're visiting, then instead of putting your card in the bag, uh, we would ask that you take it out through these double doors and turn just to the left. There's a, uh, a welcome center there, and we ask that you would just take it there, hand it to them. We have a, a little gift that we have prepared for you just to say, hey, thanks for coming and, and worshiping with us today. Thanks for being with us. We're really glad you were here. So, yeah, give them your card out there, and, and they'll give you that gift. Um, otherwise, uh, go ahead and, and put it in the bag when it, when it uh, comes your way. Father, we count it a privilege and an honor that we can give back to you this morning, this afternoon, morning. We give counted a privilege and an honor that we can share in the work that you are doing. Take what we give and use it to change lives. Take what we give, use it to, to spread hope. Take what we give and use it to, to uh, 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 Lord, uh, uh, to help people to know you. We ask it in Jesus' name.